Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. Uh, it's Rohan here, and with me today I have Phil. Hey, Phil. Hey, how's it going? Good, thanks. And we also have a guest on, Aaron. How are you, Aaron? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you for coming on. So, whereabouts uh, from the world are you, Aaron? I'm from uh, the great state of Colorado in the United States, uh, the city of Denver. Oh, lovely. Um, so, you are also someone that contributes a lot to Home Assistant. So thank you very much for all your contributions to Home Assistant as well. Oh, sure. My pleasure. It's a, it's a joy and an honor. I know I speak for the whole community. This is a, a passion of project or a project of passion, I should say. And we, um, we greatly appreciate being able to be involved with it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to get to know all about your smart home in a bit. But first, we have a new release as usual is 0.70. That's right. Um, so just getting right into it. So we've got a new, uh, component for home at a cloud. So, uh, things like shutters, motion, uh, and even, even power switches and light switches that, uh, measure light levels. So a lot of these, uh, a lot of these components are now, uh, included. Yeah. That's awesome. Always good to have more options, especially for power monitoring. I think that's a, a really, uh, good one to have if you can use it. A, another new component that's come in is the Facebox facial and number recognition. Very well timed for all the GDPR updates we're getting. Nothing like a, <laughs> something else that can track your face in the house, huh? That's right. That's right. So, so I'm not I'm not familiar with uh, with Facebox, Phil. I don't know if you looked into that one at all. Is it local? Is it cloud or? No, to be honest, I I didn't look into it um, too well, but it looks awesome. Um, just the because it can also recognize numbers as well, uh, as well as faces. So I'm not sure if it's local or cloud, but uh, it's good to see that the, the camera component is getting some more facial recognition features added to it as well. Their, uh, their docs talk about it being on-prem or in the cloud, uh, capab- machine learning capabilities without a science degree. Oh, well, there you go. That's interesting. So yeah, like it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting if it is on prem. I'm I'm curious as to how much horsepower that thing that thing uses. Typically, when you say anything machine learning or AI or mm. any of that, you now have rows. In my mind, at least, you have rows of servers. Um, yeah, I don't, we're I don't definitely know. not running on a Raspberry Pi zero. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's it, right? That's it. So, also uh, new to Home Assistant is Space API. So you can allow hackerspaces to expose details uh, about co-working locations. So that's a, uh, it's a, uh, I guess it's a cloud. Yeah, good for freelancers to find out if their local community space is open or closed for the day, or what's going on there. That's cool. Um, also, another great GDPR timing one is the Samsung Family Hub refrigerator. The camera, which oh, I don't know why you need a camera on the side of your fridge can now be supported in home assistant um yeah i wonder if that i i didn't look into that um too far but i wonder if that's the internal cameras where you can actually see um you know have i got enough eggs in the fridge or if there's a camera outside for skype calls that you get to access to but yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that someone was able to actually get access to that samsung camera feed usually they're pretty locked down all that samsung firmware yeah well samsung is is trying to be more home friendly right with uh with regards to having things like smart things and so on and so forth uh they're trying to integrate a lot more things with that so i think because of that or as a result of that i think now that's where we're starting to see more open apis for different things the washing machine fridges things like that I, again I'm, I'm saying this i haven't actually looked into it myself but i i highly suspect that that's what's driving a lot of this 
the uh, the underlying package actually says something that I, I think a lot of us are very familiar with. He says it's all using undocumented APIs. So it's the case where I guess Samsung hasn't hasn't given us what mm-hmm. we wanted, so we went ahead and took it anyway. <laughs> that's that's perfect. <laughs> but that's a nice way of looking at that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's it's interesting because that seems to be quite a bit of uh, there seems to be quite a bit of that, right? Like so between Samsung, Lutron, there's there's quite a few more actually. That, that do use Absolutely. the under the covers, hey, I hacked this together and I'm going to make a package out of it. And Absolutely. Hopefully, hopefully they do open things up uh, just so it's, you know, it's better for the open source community. You don't, you're not locked into a specific platform or locked into, you know, anything like that. You can kind of use whatever you want, but I can also see why that's, uh, why that's competitive for them, so... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, I imagine it's, you know, on the one end, it's very exciting to be able to provide that for the community. On the other end, you, you're the person on Saturday morning. If the thing goes down, everybody's looking to you to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> be a little daunting. <laughs> well, that, that's exactly it, right? It, it's, it's, and I, I've mentioned this a couple of times because I, I have quite a bit of Lutron components in my house and, uh, or Lutron switches. And all of a sudden, I'll, I'll tell, uh, my echo to say, you know, Hey, turn, turn on the, I'll, turn on the lights or turn off the lights. And it's just like, nah, <laughs> but like what's going on. <laughs> and, uh, and I look and, and, and again, because my home assistant hasn't restarted or anything like that, it's, it still looks like it's working, but it's not. And, uh, you know, eventually it'll, it'll throw an error and then it's just all downhill from there. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but Yeah. So there's also a new connected component, uh, connected spelt with a K. So that's an open source application. Um, they run on a Node MCU uh, ESP8266, which, funnily enough, I was actually just playing with before before we started recording. Nice. Um, and uh, not not with connected specifically, but with with the ESP. Um, and so they basically develop uh, hardware for connecting wired alarm systems. So I've actually seen a couple of posts around this, and and I'm not sure if it was Carlo or if it was uh, Bra or somebody else that's that's posted around this, but essentially around taking a pre-existing uh, wired alarm system, and you know maybe you move into a house with an alarm system there, and you rip it apart and uh, replace it with ESP ninety two sixty six or sorry eighty two sixty sixes and. Uh, Generally, when a, a home alarm system gets installed, you know, they'll install like, wired sensors that need power and, you know, you've got like windows and doors that are then, you know, have sensors on mm-hmm. them. But if you ever cancel that subscription, it's actually more expensive for the company to come out and rip those sensors out of your home. So, they just leave them, you know, in your doors and your windows, yeah. but they just obviously take the control panel. So, then you've got all these doors and window sensors that have got wires running to them, but you just can't use them. So, this would be a, a good way to build that into Home Assistant. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And and a lot of houses actually come wired. So I'm I'm pretty sure my house actually is wired, is pre-wired with uh, with a lot of this, uh, a lot of cables and stuff. Uh, my my only problem is when I when I moved into my place, the people before me here uh, had finished the basement. So I think I think a lot of these wires actually hang off at somewhere uh-huh. somewhere that's you know behind drywall, and I I couldn't tell you where. So, but, but it, even if that is, if you do have uh, a house like that or something like that, then all you need to do is buy sensors that are wired uh, and, and connect them down. For me personally, I, I 
really do prefer a wired sensor over a wireless sensor. It's just less batteries to replace. Less batteries to replace, and and it's also just less RF uh, for interference and things like that, right? So it's especially if you're, yeah, especially if your components are running on two point four or five gigahertz. Five isn't even that bad, but two point four can be pretty bad. So, but you know, it's 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 it'd be nice to have, but uh, yeah. So this this platform does look really interesting. Um, I'm I'd, I'd love to hear if anybody's done use this or tried this we'll have to fast forward several weeks and Rowan will have busted down some drywall and done this <laughs> <laughs> you know what i've lived here three years outside of uh, outside of uh putting in smart switches and a couple of other sensors and changing one set of blinds i haven't done a whole lot i need to i need to get to that first and then uh otherwise otherwise the girlfriend's <laughs> gonna kill me <laughs> um, what are you gonna use your esp a266 with so I'm actually, it, it's funny. So I've actually been following uh, a guide that uh, Ben from Bra Automation put up for uh, building LED lights uh, and, 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 or using uh, it as a controller for LED lights. For like a, an LED strip light. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so, nice. and, and what I want to do is, uh, and Carlos actually got a pretty good blog about this as well, is uh, using it outside of uh, outside of the house uh, to basically, instead of having pot lights and such outside of the house uh, running under my uh, eaves troughs, I'm going to have uh, LED strips. And then that way for, the idea is to have individually addressable, so... You know, during Christmas time, it acts as Christmas lights. During uh, any other, any other, you know, Halloween, they can turn them all orange or or something like that, right? Super nice. cool. So, yeah. So Carlo and uh, and uh, Ben both have uh, both have tutorials around that. So I'm I'm kind of taking both of their uh, tutorials and mishmashing them to kind of build my own code. So that's really cool. Yeah. So thanks, guys. <laughs> And another new platform, getting back to the 070 release, is a FinTS sensor. So if you're in Germany, you can now have Home Assistant talk with your bank account. There's really a lot of privacy stuff uh, in this release. And being in Germany, you'd think it would be a bit hard to get financial information out. But I do like that those banks have a sort of standard way of communicating. And you can uh, yeah access your bank balance and account information all through a home assistant sensor now that's interesting yeah there's um yeah there, there's a f- few few you know pros and cons around that and and right off the bat from a security perspective i can think of a few cons yeah but uh i mean if you're if you're safe with that then then that sounds interesting but like you know your your bank balance goes under a certain amount all your lights turn red or something <laughs> like that yeah or, or maybe it just shuts off everything to save electricity so you don't have to have a huge <laughs> electricity bill. It knows you can't afford it anyway. That's right. That's right. All your smart valves turn off all the water. <laughs> we'll have to update the, the Home Assistant UI with all the GDPR. Hey, our terms of service have changed, just so you know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know. That would be that would be pretty funny. Okay. And some breaking changes in this release as well. A very big uh, breaking change is coming uh, for custom UI components. So if you're using standard Home Assistant, yeah. you've got nothing to worry about. But um, there's a, a lot of changes happening on uh, the front end with some code refactors. So if you're using anything like uh, any, I think there's a few custom UI repos out there now. So if you're using any of those, just check the compatibility before you upgrade. Yeah, and as well, Sab uh, Sab NZBD, which if you're not uh, familiar, it's uh, it's I believe a Usenet uh, downloading tool. 
So it's moved away from a sensor to its own component. So instead of it, uh, so instead of it saying, you know, I'm, I'm as an example, I'm downloading X amount of movies or something like that. Uh, now, now, I mean, the, the functionality seems pretty similar, but uh, it is its own component rather than a sensor. So that is that will be a breaking change. Yeah. And BMW Connected Drive uh, has some breaking changes. Uh, you'll need to update your configuration. But on the plus side, there's a whole bunch of uh, new sensors. Uh, there's a, some cool binary sensors that have been added in, including um, whether or not the electric vehicle, if your BMW is electric, if it's charging or not, and also whether or not the parking lights are on or off. So that's some interesting use cases you could get out of that. Yeah, the more the more I see these, I really want more more of a connected vehicle, specifically an mm. electric one. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, that's it's definitely very cool. Um, also, SimplePush.io uh, as a notification platform has been completely removed from Home Assistant, so they uh, apparently they're no longer online and available from app stores and such so yeah, their apps got taken down everything yeah they're gone yeah i'm is is I, i'm i'm actually curious to know if that's something to do with gdpr or or if they just are gone gone but uh, yeah. for some other reasons but it looks like they the owner of the app sent an email in that they put in the pull request and he said there's a bug that makes simple push unusable unfortunately i don't have time at the moment to fix the bug so it looks like fabian just decided let's pull it and we'll put it back in if the service ever goes back up Oh, interesting. So the service is still around then. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like the developer, it's maybe a side project or something, just didn't have time to mm. to fix the bug. Yeah, right, oh, that's right. interesting. Hmm. And another breaking change. This one uh, could be uh, a big one if you're using the dark sky sensor. Um, the API has uh, deprecated the temperature min, temperature max, and also the apparent temperature min and apparent temperature max. So if you're using any of those sensors, there are replacements in the release, so you can jump in and check those. Yeah. And some noteworthy features. Um, so MQTT switches, um, you can now have unique IDs for those. That'll be good. Um, I'm a real big fan and looking forward to the Roku media players can now have uh, support for their entity IDs to be hard-coded, which was actually uh, contributed uh, from our guest today, Aaron. Thank you very much. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, I, I remember I, somebody had said this before, but uh, I think we're all kind of sick of the, the entity IDs that say Roku underscore gobbledygook. Yeah. <laughs> now you can do something more nice. And it, yeah. it's really confusing when you've got like Plex on a Roku and then a Plex gets its own ID from the Roku name and then the uh, Roku gets the same name and they clash and you don't know what's going to be Plex, what's going to be Roku when you restart. Yeah. 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 And then uh, there is also support for Zigbee pressure sensors now. That's kind of cool. Um, yeah, this, really this, cool. This may actually play into uh, to what we're talking about with uh, with Isabella as well in terms of having that uh, kind of pseudo-connected garbage can. Mm, yeah. mm, that's a good point. Yeah, you could have like a, a mat where the, the garbage bin has to sit on to say it's home or not. Mm. That's right. That's right. That's so, interesting uh, in this case. That, that's that's called pulling things full circle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and the Bulgarian language has been added to Google Text to Speech. So if you speak Bulgarian, you can now have Home Assistant talk your language. That's kind of neat. Yeah. Um, also, HomeKit support. Uh, so we're expanding HomeKit support uh, for fans. So yeah, you can get Siri to start 
connecting to your fans, I guess. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I've undertaken a, a campaign recently to uh, talk a lot to Federico Vitici, who he's the editor-in-chief of Mac Stories, and they've been running a lot of pieces lately on smart homes, and they seem to know nothing about Home Assistant and all the HomeKit stuff that's been added to it over the last month. So I'm trying to push it in front of him. Hopefully, it'll, it'll catch on as the de facto solution for HomeKit going forward. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, actually. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's really come quite a bit of a way uh, from from when they started. So every every release, you're seeing more and more. Yeah, updates we've been talking about HomeKit. Yeah, for the past couple of months, it just seems to be going crazy. Like there's some great contributions. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, for and sure. another one for HomeKit now as well is uh, there's support for codes. So if you have an alarm panel or a lock connected with HomeKit and it requires a code uh, for it to unlock or lock, you can now specify that in your YAML file, and Home Assistant can then turn off or on those alarm panels for you. There's also some Rain Machine updates, uh, also from Aaron. Man, you're doing quite a bit. I know. I, I kind of I go in these moments where my, my wife is gracious enough to let me do some programming, and so I just try and hammer <laughs> out a bunch of stuff. But yeah, the, uh, I think you guys mentioned it last week. The, the intention here, Rain Machine, was actually my first integration, and originally it was just a switch platform that could allow you to interact with programs and zones. And I've been refactoring it into more of a component model so that I'm going to add um, sensors to it, services to it, all sorts of other things that'll make it useful beyond just a bunch of switches. So obviously you have Rain Machine. How many Rain Machine units do you have at your house? I actually just have one, um, the HD 12, um, but uh, I really like it. It's a great device. Um, it's actually interesting. I'll, I'll throw out the quick plug that the city of Denver is the home of Ratio. So maybe I'm maybe uh, I'm a bad guy for not supporting my local business. But uh, <laughs> I do like Rain Machine just because of, of the local control. If the internet goes down, um, obviously our credence applies that you ought to still be able to control your smart home. So it's nice to yeah. be able to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, as I'm, uh, it's 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 actually the timing couldn't be couldn't be better because uh, for me personally, I'm I'm actually looking at uh, redoing uh, my backyard, just you know, actually landscaping it and such. And and as part of that, I do want to put in proper irrigation and things like that if uh, if I get the chance. So uh, yeah, this is this is fantastic, and and, and I'm glad uh, glad to hear that. Uh, I haven't done a lot of research in it, so I'm glad to hear that uh, Rain Machine uh, is working well for you, Aaron. Absolutely, man. All right, and in other changes that have come out since our last episode, uh, Home Assistant have released a new developer's microsite and Twitter account. So just to try and keep, you know, the developers and the, uh, I guess, the users sort of separate, there's now a new uh, has underscore devs Twitter account, so you can follow that if you want to contribute to Home Assistant and find out, you know, all the latest updates that will affect developers. And there's also developers.homeassistant.io as well. That's right. And uh, also kind of noteworthy, uh, Auto Winter has uh, has some interesting interesting stuff going on uh, that he posted on Twitter. Um, and and I mean, I don't really know even know how to describe this, but there's essentially a lot of onboarding uh, onboarding changes that uh, that they're looking at uh, making. So how do we add different? For example, how do we add different microcontrollers and, and things like that to to Home Assistant? Yeah, it's basically like a, a UI for setting up your microcontroller instead of having to flash firmware. You can just go through and answer a step by step wizard of what you want it to do, and then Home Assistant will take over. It's really cool, actually. The um, the under it looks like, and Otto can correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like the underlying 
mechanism or library is another thing he's written. Um, I believe it's called ESP. He has ESP Home Lib, which is a really nice C, C++ library for getting ESP8266 and 32 microcontrollers running really quickly. And then he's got ESP Home YAML, which I know, you know, we have different feelings about YAML, yeah, but the idea yeah. here is you know, being able to configure one of these controllers without ever touching traditional programming language, which is just a fabulous concept. Actually, I think Frank released a uh, ESP uh, YAML um, add-on for Hasio this couple, uh, maybe this week or last week. Yeah. So mm. that's interesting as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool to see. It's you know, it's definitely geared towards all the all the talk about Home Assistant being a power users tool. These these guys are doing a lot of great work to make it more approachable without sacrificing yeah. the power. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and a huge thank you. Uh, thank you to, you know, Otto, Paulus, Frank, and, and yourself as well, Aaron, and, and the entire team for that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, it's definitely interesting. So if, if anybody's interested, we will post the, uh, the Twitter, uh, link that Otto, Otto posted, uh, showing, showing what that kind of looks like, uh, that can be found in the show notes. Yeah. So Aaron, thank you very much for coming on today so we obviously now need to interrogate you and find out how you're using home assistant so how long have you been using uh, home assistant for yeah it's actually um it's interesting my my foray into home assistant i actually haven't been a user all that long maybe maybe a year and a half two years um it's i've been a software developer my whole life and um, my wife and i built our first home just a couple of years ago and you know home automation for me was just it's interesting. It wasn't anywhere on the radar. Um, I think our builder put in a single Z-Wave lock for the front door, and and that was about it. So time went on, and I, I decided, you know, I want to be able to control my front door lock with my phone. Um, and I, I played around with a lot of the other projects, OpenHab and Demotics and all that type of stuff. And um, I remember coming across Home Assistant and having been a Python developer thinking, oh, that's great. I'm glad somebody's using Python, but I, I never did anything with it. Um and then finally, I don't know what it really precipitated it, but I came back around and, and gave it another shot and decided to really put some time and energy into how I configured it and, and was using it at home. And, you know, that, that year and a half to two year time period has been a really rapid ascension in terms of my, my use of the product and my involvement in its development. So it, uh, I can happily say it's, it's been a wonderful addition to my life the last couple of years. Oh, awesome. That's fantastic. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. How, how are you? How are you running Home Assistant? Is it on like on Raspberry Pi or Docker or HasIO or what's what's going on? Yeah, so I am. Um, I'm still running it on a Raspberry Pi three. Um, it's funny. I you know I I tend to be the proponent of the model, and I've you know knock on wood never had an SD card <laughs> burnout or anything like that. So it's it's served my needs. And um, when I started using it. Um, it was bef- it was sort of pre HasIO. It might even have been pre Haspian, uh, you know, way back in the day. And um, so I started out kind of developing my own Docker based uh, infrastructure into which I managed it. Um, and I, you know, as as HasIO and things like that have progressed, I've kind of 
I've kind of kept pace in my own uh, sort of build out just to have, you know, have the complete control over it. So I, I'm a pretty vanilla user running it in its own, its own intended way through a Docker environment. Oh, nice. That's not bad. Yeah. Are you, are you, are you using any other external, uh, external tools like Node Red or, or AppD or anything like that? Sure. Great question. Um, so I'm looking real quick. Um, I always have to remind myself, I have to look at my Docker <laughs> compose file and see all the things. Um, so I, I will give a, a real quick plug to you, Phil. I'm one of the great tools I'm using. I'm using HA Dockermon. Oh, um, awesome. So that I can, uh, obviously control all my various servers across my pies. All I mentioned this on my, my GitHub site. Um, all of my pies to manage our home automation. I'm a, I am a Harry Potter nerd. So they're all named after, uh, schoolhouses, Gryffindor and Hufflepuff <laughs> and things like that. That's awesome. Um, so on the main one, I'm, I'm running Home Assistant, uh, HADocumon. I'm running things like glances for, uh, system monitoring, temperature and disk usage and all that. Um, and Rowan, you asked about sort of automation layer. Um, I am a hundred percent app demon. Um, I, I love Node Red. I, I love it so much, and I, I think it's wonderful. Um, I'm just you know having been a software developer for so long, I am ingrained in the you know object oriented programming methodology mindset. So it's it's hard for me to transition to something that's more visual uh, than just writing code into a text editor. So everything that I do is, is app demon. So that's interesting. So I actually installed Node Red uh, this week, um, and I've found it a little bit uh, strange to get my head around, you know, the flows and you know all, all that sort of stuff. But uh, as a, a developer myself, ha- if with AppDaemon, so can you create like a, a full object orientated sort of way to do your smart home? Sure. Yeah, oh, that's a great question. Cool. So if you, um, if you take a, I'm trying to, I try to get all this up to my GitHub site. So it's there as a reference. I'll put more documentation around it, but as a, as a quick example, um, I, I have made a, a structure on top of app demon where, um, everything is broken out into either what I call an app or an automation. So an, an app might be something that has a standalone purpose. I have a security manager to manage locks and alarm systems. I have a uh, notification manager that handles single and repeating notifications uh, being sent to various targets. Those are the apps. Yep. Um, and then the automation is sort of the, the action that occurs. So the idea might be that an automation utilizes apps to uh, fulfill its purpose. Um, so on top of that, uh, all my atom- automations are made up of features. Um, and these, these features can be applied one at a time, or they can be applied in a repeated sense. Uh, maybe one of the best examples, um, I have a switch automation, um, and that switch automation has several features under it, like uh, being able to toggle the switch at a certain time or event. Uh, I might implement that feature several times to say, I want to toggle a switch on at sunset, and I want to toggle it off at 11 p.m. or something like that. Um, so to, to answer your question, Phil, the, uh, you know, time and other smarter people than I will tell whether I've over-engineered this thing, <laughs> but, um, I really like it because it's, uh, it, it just feels like it's composed of really nice insulated objects all defined for a single purpose. And, yeah. um, I'm, I'm sure I'll wake up a month <laughs> from now and, and hate the whole thing and, and make version <laughs> two of it, but, um, oh. I, I think I've, I've shown that it can be done. Yeah. Well, it makes sense because, so I've. The reason I installed Node Red was I've uh, recently got a whole bunch of um, smart globes because I'm renting, so I can't just do switches. 
um, and they're from Lightify, Osram Lightify. Mm. And I've noticed that if I turn the group on, you know, there'll be like one downlight that doesn't turn on as part of that group. So my original thinking was, okay, cool. I will just create a home assistant script that will just, you know, call itself until that light bulb turns on. But home assistant scripts can't have multiple instances running. You know, as soon as you call script mm-hmm. turn on for itself, you know, it's already running, so it dies. So then I decided to do a recurring Novred uh, flow, and which I then, uh, in my own network, DDoSed Home Assistant, which the CPU would <laughs> climb up to 100% and Home Assistant would lose uh, connection <laughs> and start complaining everything was offline and eventually all over and crash. So oh, that's I wonderful. I my hair out there. Uh, so, yeah, so now I have all these Node-RED flows and, I, I'm, and I, as I'm just starting to use Node-RED, I'm finding it difficult to reuse, you know, you know, a lot of uh, code, you know, that I think Node-RED, you know, you're supposed to flow the information through, whereas I need to, you know, go back in loops and do this to that light, do that to this light. And there's a lot of copying and pasting, which I think it doesn't really, it's not manageable for me. And whereas I would like, you know, being a developer, you know, a whole centralized, you know, controller where it has the state, it has, you know, all the functions that it does its thing all in one place. You know, it's one place of code I just have to update. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I totally get that whole appeal for app daemon now. So you may have converted me to look into that a bit more. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. And it is it is challenging, though. You know, I feel like the, especially the Home Assistant Reddit community, I, I would swear 80% of the posts nowadays are about Node-RED. Yeah. So clearly oh, it's, it's been... It's, yeah, yeah. So I, I am, I am jealous of when somebody pops open a browser and arranges a node and hits publish, and suddenly it's live. And I, I think, well, that's cool. I'm going to go open my text <laughs> editor and push it to GitHub. <laughs> but uh, you know, maybe, maybe what I, and I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts. Maybe, maybe what we've seen here is a nice progression from you start out with the YAML, the built-in automation interface in Home Assistant, and then. You know, not to downplay Node-RED, but maybe Node-RED is the next logical chain in the evolution. And then really, if you are passionate about getting into the guts of more software development, maybe AppDaemon is the final road for you. Yeah, that's an interesting, uh, you know, take on it. And based on just what you've described with that whole MVC flow, I think, you know, you might be right because you can do, you know, if you've got like a proper, you know, own states and, you know, whole other services that you can call through AppDaemon that you may not be able to do with a Node-RED flow, then, yeah, absolutely. I think for the ultimate power user of Home Assistant, I think AppDaemon might be the eventual progression we have to go. Yeah, th- I think I think what's yeah. interesting is yeah. Node-RED kind of brings in that, especially as you start having, uh, like like we just talked about the, the work that guys like Otto and, and Paulus and, and Frank are working on, around making making everything easier right so so node red might actually be a really interesting way to get uh to get automations done easy right and then obviously for more complex automations then you would move to something like app app daemon and uh and then and then requiring more more complex knowledge and requiring the knowledge of python etc right yeah that's a great point ron i like that i i think you know i've really tried to juggle and figure out can these live together they absolutely yeah. can um you know i'm sure there's a way to do everything that I, that is done in app daemon in, in node red i think you know the the places where i've run into trouble and i've tried to uh, i've tried to play with some of my heavier stuff in node red a few times i think the the place where i've had trouble and you touched on this, Phil, um, is when you have something that isn't really represented by a workflow, 
Um, so for instance, I've got uh, an app daemon app, one of my apps called the notification manager, and it has two functions on it. You say notification manager dot send or notification manager dot repeat. Um, and to each of those functions, you pass, you know, you can pass a title, a message, a date and a time when it should occur, a target that it should go to, all this stuff. Um, and so as I'm flowing throughout all my automation layer, if I want to fire off a notification to everyone who's not home that repeats every 30 minutes, um, it's a piece of cake to just call that appropriate method on on my app daemon app. Maybe, you know, maybe Node-RED has that concept with subflows and stuff like that, but it just, it seems like more challenging than yeah. what app daemon provides. Well, again, mm-hmm. you got to remember app daemon because it's a, it, it is uh, essentially an extension uh, where you're, you'd require programming skills such if for programmers, it is a lot more logical, right? Um, and, and, and to be honest, I haven't, I haven't played with mm-hmm. Node-RED enough to know, you know, where shortcomings are, but from, from what you're saying, it sounds like, yeah, for, for doing that kind of complex things, it would be, it would be a lot easier to have, uh, AppD do that. Sure. I would say, you know, all this is just a huge shout out back to, to Paulus and Pascal and the, the whole core team. The fact that all of these, add-ons are so orthogonal to the home assistant experience they can all talk to home assistant in near real time i mean it's just that to me is stunning that that we're even having this discussion with this type of platform the fact that you have choices uh yeah definitely and we should also uh, remember that there's the uh home assistant automation editor as well that is uh Mm. built in with home assistant so it'll be interesting to see how that plays into the mix once that Mm -hmm. gets fleshed out a bit more too um so what sort of uh smart gear have you got in your house aaron have you got Hue or LifeX or Z-Wave, anything fancy? Sure. So, um, you know, I was thinking about this as I was putting together the list. And, um, you know, I'm not running anything that I think is is wildly outside the bounds of what other people are running. Um, so I have a combination of, uh, for switches and lights, I've got a combination of I have some Belkin Wemo switches. I've got some Z-Wave switches. I have um, several old salt lamps that have sonoffs spliced into their power cord. So I'm all over the place when it comes to (laughs) lights. Um, uh, Looking through my gear list here, you know, the the usuals um, in terms of um, I use Sonos for our our media playback throughout the house. I have Ubiquiti networking gear. Um, One of the ones that I I just picked up that I really am enjoying. So I I was thinking about this and talking about it with my wife last night. It's interesting that for the most part, we interact with Home Assistant uh, not through the UI, although I take a lot of time, an inordinate amount of time to organize my UI, um, but it's mostly interacted with through either our our trusty uh, lady AI <laughs> friend whose name I will not mention. <laughs> the Amazon Echo. <laughs> uh, yes, and, um, and really through the automations themselves. So um, in terms of the voice capabilities, one of the great products that I just came across uh, – online is um by anchor everybody knows anchor i think these days um they make a a echo enabled two port usb car charger no way what's been great about that is you know the the whole being able to announce hey i'm home as i drive up and have the garage open and the doors unlock and the security system off um i never thought it would be that big of a deal but since she since she is now with me in my car i find it's a bigger deal than i anticipated that's so cool. So I actually um bought from Amazon a a car mount for the Echo Dot 
and I put the Echo oh, Dot yeah. in the car. <laughs> it, it didn't last very long, uh, but just because I don't have uh, a Wi-Fi connection in the car unless I, I, I would have to fumble, get my phone out, turn the data sharing on, and then the Echo would have to try and connect to the Wi-Fi. And sure. yeah, it was. But how do you find having Alexa in the car? Sorry, I said her name, but how do you find having her in the car? She, did she? Because I think one of the advertising points was turn-by-turn directions. It, yeah, absolutely. Um, I happen to use Waze for mine. And, uh, you know, just today on my way to talk with you guys, I, I said, uh, hey, lady, you know, give me directions to home. And she did her usual, okay. And she popped open the Waze app and immediately routed me to home. So oh, wow. obviously, of course, I could have I done that with my hands before I started driving. But just the fact that I didn't, um, it's a simple thing. And I never thought I would care so much about it, but I, I am caring more about it. So how does it connect? Does it connect to Bluetooth through your phone or does it use like a Wi-Fi in the car? It uses Bluetooth um, and it is, it is smart enough to ask you up front, hey, how do you, how do you normally listen to music uh, in the car? Do you do it through Bluetooth? Do you, like I have an older car, do you do it through an auxiliary cable? And it will route audio through your phone on the correct interface, but it's wow. doing the communication over Bluetooth. What uh, what kind of phone do you have? Just just an iPhone, uh, Rowan, just a standard run-of-the-mill iPhone. Um, so I guess the only, it's not a downside, the only uh, sort of thing to know is you have to have the, the Roav Viva app running in the background, which is not the end of the world. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've had it for all of two weeks here, and it was one of those things where I I saw a deal. It was normally forty bucks down to thirty, and after purchasing it, I thought, oh man, Aaron, <laughs> did you just buy something that you're not going to use? <laughs> like, we've all, I'm sure we've all been down that road. Um, but it was, I, I will tell you guys, it's been a good purchase. If if such a thing is it piques your interest, I would uh, I would recommend it. Obviously, our, our Google Home friends uh, may have other mechanisms to do that but if you're a yeah it's person, uh it's it's, great it's stuff. funny so i'm getting really excited about this because you're the first person i've talked to that's actually has one so i i saw the uh, i saw it when they announced it saying hey you know it's going to be coming out blah 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 and as I, I was looking into it and i was like oh my god this is amazing and uh and and i didn't think uh i don't think it's available in canada just yet uh i'm hoping it i haven't looked in a while but uh, i'm definitely going to mm-hmm. check tonight but yeah, this is something I've wanted for for quite a bit. So that it's fantastic that that you actually use yours rather than it just being a novelty. It's yeah, I can highly recommend it. I you you can you can feel free to call <laughs> me if you don't like your purchase, but I think it's pretty uh, pretty safe bet. Well, well, if they're not available in Canada, they won't be available in Australia. But I will look at importing one because that <laughs> the fact that it's Bluetooth and not Wi-Fi, I think that is a very big. Uh, and it's got two USB chargers, so it's perfect. But yeah, that's a really big selling point. I like that. As a, as a quick addendum, we were trying to decide last night, you know, what do you call the thing that you plug this into? And I was thinking, we used to say you plug it into the cigarette lighter in your car, but no, nobody <laughs> has that anymore. So I don't know what that's called. Yeah, I guess just a 12 volt. 12 volt. Port. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So are you, are you using anything for presence detection in the house uh, to say, you know, you're home or away or something like that automatically outside of the, uh, outside of the uh, anchor, not cigarette lighter, cigarette lighter? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so we actually early on, um, you know, I, I had been starting to play around with MQTT mm-hmm. a little bit before getting into Home Assistant. And as I was looking into it, I thought, you know what, as an, a, as an experiment, and really my whole home automation obsession now has been a playground for me to experiment with things. Um, we installed our own MQTT broker on Hufflepuff. 
<laughs> and um, we both use own tracks. And actually, I know a lot of people have had struggles with the reliability of own tracks. We we use it faithfully on our iPhones, and um, I would say it works really well. We uh, we I did augment it. One of the Docker services running on Hufflepuff is an iBeacon Docker container. Um, I have found that um, when you connect own tracks to an iBeacon, as it's described in the Home Assistant docs, it um, it does tend to recognize mm-hmm. a little quicker when you arrive and when you leave. Um, but uh, that's been working really well. And, and Phil, another shout out to you. We uh, I use an app daemon variant of it, but uh, we are faithful users <laughs> of your not so binary presence detection. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I'm really glad a lot of people have uh, found great uses for it. So I'm, I'm glad another person's using it as well. Absolutely. Um, the one other, um, Rowan, you asked earlier, other gear I'm using, I'll, I'll mention. Obviously, a lot of the a lot of the integrations that I build are, are um, you know, things that I have personal need for. It's a, it's usually how I recommend people get involved in Home Assistant is to find find something that hasn't been supported or adequately supported yet that you have an interest in and and get to it. So the Rain Machine was my first. Um, the other one uh, we have several of these now. Uh, the Yi, the Y I E Home Camera. Um, yeah, that that platform. Um, I will just pitch it real quick. It's a it's a beautiful camera, great picture. Um, it has a lot of great ancillary features, like it it can detect if a baby's crying, wow. so you can use it as like a baby monitor. Um, that's um, we got several of those now for sort of in house cameras. I I try not to freak out my guests with cameras all over the place, but um, <laughs> that's uh, those are ones we have as well. So I would say you know the the stuff I've picked up, um, I now sort of feel incumbent upon myself to add it to home assistant if it hasn't been added already <laughs> yeah that's great and so do those cameras are they one of those ones that report back to china they do um so um you know one of the one of the sort of i guess routes that i've gone down um the, the instructions that i wrote in the docs talk about needing to install a customized firmware um i'm sure uh, i haven't done the the uh, network tracking that I probably should. I'm sure there's still out out of band communication that's still occurring. Um, but I've really tried to using that custom firmware. I've tried to lock down um, exactly what is you know what is sending out. I've also moved. This is something I know it's a more technical topic, but I, I highly recommend anyone who can do it put all of your smart devices on like a a separate. Uh, VLAN or subnet of your network yeah. so that you can yeah. shut it off from the internet if it's wigging you out. But you bring up a great point, Phil, that I do, I do have a tendency to buy a lot of, uh, as I'm sure we all do, buy a lot of gear um, that may or may not be reporting its internals back to somebody else. Well, you know, this is something that we've been preaching, you know, a, a while, you know, make sure everything's blocked off the yeah. internet, but of <laughs> course we don't do it. And actually, uh, <laughs> Rohan and I were talking the other day on Slack and uh, Rohan sent me a, a tweet um, from one of the, uh, was it Yee Lights, I think it was? Yeah. Rohan, the, um, the lights that, uh, because of the GDPR stuff that's come out, they've put a, a message saying, sorry, you can't use this app or you can't use this light bulb oh. until you accept the new privacy policy or something like that and interesting and then because you know our app doesn't comply with gdpr and you, that made me sort of think well hang on a second if a, if a light bulb can't be used anymore because of new privacy laws then what data don't they want to publicly tell oh, us that they're saying i'm still yeah. not sure how how true or false that specific oh, post wild. is but uh it, it is it is that don't believe everything you find on the internet <laughs> but uh but uh, and, and it's on one of those uh 
Yeah. Not not like just one of those like joke uh Twitter accounts, right, that I that I follow. Uh it's called uh Internet of and then derogatory term for people. <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah, actually, um, if you want to look at some funny uh, GDPR stuff, there's GDPRfail.com as well, which also had, uh, yeah, which also had that post as well. So, yeah, some pretty funny stuff on there. So, how many people are in your smart home, Aaron? Is it just you and your wife? Have you got kids that you've automated yet, or no, just the two of us, Phil? We, um, I, I, it is interesting though. You know, we we are thinking about uh, what what will this world look like. Uh, when children are introduced to it, obviously, yeah. you know, it, we, we have some, <laughs> we have some qualms with slapping an iPhone on a five-year-old. Um, <laughs> so, so it's actually, you know, one, one of the reasons, um, another one of the integrations that I've built is the, the tile device tracker. Yeah. Um, obviously, I, and I think you guys covered this on a previous episode. One of the challenges there is that my integration isn't using any sort of localized Bluetooth. It's all using the same, back of house API that the tile app is communicating with over the yeah. cloud. So it's, it's not great for, you know, immediacy of presence detection, but um, I started thinking about, okay, well, you know, I don't feel good about giving a kid an iPhone right away, yeah. but would I feel okay about putting a tile on their backpack or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the other thing we've talked about too is that, gosh, you know, and this is an area where um, I want to talk with Andrew, who's the, the creator of App Demon, if there's a good way to do this. But all the all the things that we've been doing over voice control, I, I'm starting to think about, oh my goodness, what happens when you have a talkative, you know, little five-year-old running around yelling <laughs> things at the Echo, yeah. you know, sh- opening, closing things and locking doors. And so I, I got to figure that out. It's, it's, uh, it's you know to your point, Phil. Earlier, of we we preach separate control and then we don't do it. I I think I preach you know getting ready for more people in your smart home than you currently have, but I don't know if I'm doing enough to really get prepared for it. Yeah. Absolutely, and, and and I think that's where you know some interesting features like uh, like voice recognition, i.e., uh, you know, is it you? Is it you know? Is it me? Is it somebody else talking? Who who's talking? And then. Based on that, do certain actions, right? So, uh, if you can, uh, if you can cleverly uh, get everybody <laughs> to, you know, say, "Hey, this is, you know, whatever," and then from that point, if 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 your voice assistant can recognize who's who, and then, you know, basically ignore <laughs> ignore commands from a, yeah, fr- from a three year old, sure. uh, you're not valid anymore. Yes, yeah. If anybody asks to turn on like some hardcore hip hop, you have to. <laughs> <laughs> she'll have to say, oh, sure, just give me your password yeah, or yeah, something. Exactly. I don't know. I got fi- to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Amazon Echo has, um, you know, like voice recognition. Like, it can tell people apart. But you still, like, you know, if one person asks for a song, it doesn't go to their playlist. It still stays on the, mm-hmm. the account. Whereas, yeah, right. you'd think, like, surely, like, it's been a feature for a year. Come on, just give me, like, yeah. complete you know, access, like if I talk to you, use my account. Someone else talks to you, use their account. Yeah, that's it. That's it. If anybody from Amazon is listening, please, uh, number one, thank you for changing our lives. Number two, please listen to our <laughs> Yeah, and custom wake words. Come on. <laughs> so what are some of your favorite automations you've got? Like what's, if you could, if you're proud about your smart home and the automation you've done, what's the, the best one you could think of? Sure, you- yeah. I would say... Um, 
Not in terms of complexity necessarily. Um, one of my favorite uh, automations has to do with our, our vacuum. Uh, we have the Xiaomi Mi smart vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have it set to run on a schedule. I think we do it every Monday and Thursday. And um, so just the chain of events I'm pretty proud of because it, uh, it, it accomplishes a very complicated structure. So um, we also have a, a simply safe security system that has motion sensors and uh, obviously that can potentially catch movement from a little robot vacuum. So what it does is when it starts to run, it basically sends a signal, an event to our security manager saying, hey, I'd like to run. Um, could you go ahead and if anybody's home, um, you don't have to do anything. But if the alarm is set in away mode, could you set it to home mode? You uh, know, to still pro- whatever, yeah. still protect the door locks. Um, yep. And then let me know when you're done. And so security manager does its thing. Then it broadcasts an event back saying, okay, I'm done. Um, and that tells the vacuum to, to run its cycle. And then it does its thing, yada, yada. And when it's done, when it returns back to the dock, it does a similar exchange where it tells the security manager, um, if anybody's home, you know, don't worry about it. But if nobody's home, go ahead and rearm the security system back into away mode. Um, and then the last thing it does is it. I have another app, an app daemon app called the briefing manager, and it registers with the briefing manager saying, hey, the vacuum has been run, it needs to be emptied. And so using Phil's wonderful, not so binary presence detection, when somebody, you know, is, has transitioned from just arrived to home, um, you know, we can kind of choose either we'll get a notification on our phone, hey, you need to empty the vacuum. Oh, um, nice. And or it'll, you know, we have the Sonos to do text to speech. Hey, you need to empty the vacuum. And yeah. um, lastly, the the push notification variant allows you to really quickly uh, pull down on the notification, say you've emptied it, and that will sort of reset the state of everything. So again, nothing nothing overly crazy from my vantage point, but I like how many pieces of the system it's yeah. touching. Yeah, that's really cool. And just how did you uh, discover that you needed to put the uh, house into away mode before the vacuum cleaner could start. Did you have an accidental alarm trigger? We did. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and, uh, it, it happened on a day. My, my wife owns her own business. And so she was out and about, I was driving to work and I got a, a phone call from our alarm company, which is simply safe their dispatcher. Um, and they said, you know, this is to let you know your alarm's going off. And obviously, you know, while you're driving, I, I'm not going to look at cameras and stuff like yeah, that. So yeah. I, I kept thinking, Oh no, like, did we really have an event? Um, and so I, I just took a leap of faith and said, Oh, you know, that's probably just our smart vacuum. Um, go ahead and ignore that. And fortunate, fortunately I checked later on through our cameras and did find that was the case. So, um, did, did learn that, you know, a small little, uh, <laughs> robot animal like that can be picked yeah, up. By it's, it's, it's funny. Cause I had <laughs> that awesome. exact, uh, exact thing happen to me the other day. Um, we for for whatever reason I I got nominated to interview some people at uh, where where I work, and uh, so I'm running out first thing in the morning uh, to make it on time for for interviews, and uh, next thing you know my <laughs> I leave I turn on the Roomba, leave the house, and next thing you know ten minutes after I I leave I see I see uh, a notification come in on my phone going, hey motion detected, and I was like. What are, you, what are you talking about? What, and I was like, oh, man. And it, so I start freaking out. Oh, and then I, I, you know, I turn around. And this is on a toll highway, too, naturally. So I turn I turn around and oh, uh, come back. And I'm like, freak out. I come in. And, you know, I check every room. I check the basement. I check the closets. Check everything. 
And the only thing that's moving around <laughs> is the Roomba. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> you were going to oh, do no, some damage was, to the intruder it was, there. It was, I was so angry. <laughs> <laughs> I know that everybody's pitching the robot vacuums, but nobody stopped to question like, well, what happens exactly, when they set exactly. off our security? It's, it's almost like you need, you need to have some kind of cross reference, right? With like, you know, security camera inside the house detecting if it's a person or not a person. And based on that, Hey, this, this robot vacuum's moving. Okay, fine. You're cool. Yeah. that's. I know it's, that might be, um, that might be a great use case for any uh, enterprising developers out there to incorporate the new face box uh, API. There you go. Mm. One of the other um, one of the other automations I'll tell you guys about. Just I, I haven't seen it very much, and I, it's simple, but it's pretty useful. Um, I've got a, a tab in Home Assistant that is for systems, and that's where I monitor battery levels and uh, all the all the temperatures and and disk space of my Raspberry Pis. And I also uh, oversee the versions of various softwares that I'm running. So I've got the version of app daemon that I've installed and the version that's available out on the internet. Um, I've got, you know, hmm. HA Dockermon in there. I've got home assistant. I've got Tasmoda for my Sonoff. So what I like about this is there's a lot of times where, um, not home assistant because I like you, like everybody is, I'm always looking for the next version, but some of these other, uh, softwares, especially things like the firmwares that I put in the Yi camera or Phil, if you push a new HA Dockermon, I, I don't think I would know about that, you know, just by yeah. daily glancing around. So just another simple automation in there that checks if the version of what I have, uh, is less than the version that is now appearing in the state of that available sensor. Just send me a quick notification or, or put a quick item in my to-do list saying, Hey, when you get a chance, update to the latest Home Assistant or HE Dockermon. So simple one, but I, I really like it just because it helps me automate my life a little more. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's really neat. Yeah, I really, I, I think that the sort of uh, same thing comes down to for anyone that uses, you know, sonar or radar to automate, you know, having to download episodes of TV shows. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it just, it's one less thing you have to worry about doing. Like it just, yeah, it, it just exactly. happens in the background and it, you know, allows you, Let's keep your focus on something else. Absolutely. That's a great point. That's it. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Aaron. We appreciate you coming on and we also appreciate you contributing back to the community with all your various add-ons and components that you've added in. We'll leave links to your Twitter and your GitHub repo, which you've just recently pushed up as well. So thank you for sharing your home system config with everyone. And we hope we can have you back on soon. Yeah, thank you, guys. It's an absolute pleasure. I, I say on behalf of the whole community, thank you for all you guys do. We really enjoy it. Hey, happy to. This yeah. is uh, this is fantastic. We we love doing this kind of stuff. We love having people like you uh, on the show, Aaron. So, uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for making the time as well. So great, thank you, guys. Cheers, guys. <laughs>